Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening service of Wednesday the 22nd of February 2017, entitled Heart Disease. And the Bible readings are taken from Proverbs chapter 4 verses 23 and Psalm 119 verse 11. Here's Pastor Brian Beaver. Well, you're glad to be here tonight, say amen. Man, what a blessing uh, to be back here. I see so many people. I, I, first of all, I'm, I'm, I don't even know what to say to be um, preaching in the same week with um, probably um, one of the men who influenced my life more than any other preacher uh, has, and that's Dave Kistler. Uh, Dave um, took me under his wing when I was a young preacher, didn't know nothing, still don't know. I probably know less now than I did when I first met you. And that's not a slight on you, brother. You, you, uh, you poured your life into mine, but you'll never know. You'll never know uh, how much I appreciate you. And uh, I see so many others, uh, Daniel and Danielle and their family. I was just with them in August in Romania, and I'll tell you, it was a life-changing trip. God used them in our life. And, uh, oh, by the way, Pache, amen. Uh, uh, I speak Romanian, too. <laughs> That's about all I know. <laughs> I know some other words, but I can't use them here. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. But uh, no, it's just silly stuff that Daniel and I went through, but he'll never know until we get to eternity what that trip meant to us and how it changed our whole perspective of what real ministry is. Um, the last couple days that we were there, um, we went to a village and just to let you know, guys, how grateful you ought to be for what you have, we went to one of the gypsy villages, and the kids uh, uh, came um, from uh, Girge, and, and, and they came, Hungarian gypsies, and all these young kids were coming to VBS, and, and Daniel said, let's go and drop them off, and we'll walk through their village. And um, folks, these people don't have anything, nothing. I mean, they're living in shacks and shanties, little cardboard box-built houses, and, and probably among a 1,000 people in that village, they had one working well. They only got one water source, but just as happy. And uh, we're so easy and susceptible to complain about what we don't have and stop, you know, stop praising God for what we do have, don't we? And what we need to do is we need to be grateful in all things and everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And so, um, you know, I, it changed my whole life, man. I appreciate y'all more than you'll ever know. And uh, I thank God for this church, and what it's meant in my life. Um, Peter, I love you. And, uh, thank God for you. We prayed for you every day since we heard about our sister's home going. And uh, there's a song that, that kind of, rem- I was driving, we were driving over here, and uh, the song goes like this. It goes, If life could only bring again the days I took for granted when to hear your voice was just a call away. Or what I'd give for just some time to say the things that slipped my mind. There's so much more I'd really like to say. But I could never go back when We did the things we did back then. I store those precious memories in my mind. 
I'll take what you've instilled in me and try to be all I can be and walk the path that you have left behind. But I sure miss you. Life will never be the same with you not here. Each passing day has brought much pain. But with God's grace, my strength remains. I sure miss you, but heaven's sweeter with you there. And boy, that, that epitomizes, that epitomizes Diane's life. Amen. And uh, I don't mean to start like that, but you know what? I've been waiting for a long time just to love, love on my brother. And I'm just telling you, you're included in this right now. But Peter, I thank God for you, son. I do. I thank God for you. And your walk. And you know, you just don't talk it, man. You walk it. And uh, you know what? That's one thing I'm so thankful for at this place. This just just isn't a church. This is a family. Amen? This is family. And so many times we treat church like a, just like a scheduled thing we do every week. It's it's, it's more than that. And, and, And you know, Ah, we need to treat it that way. You know, we've got enough churches that are a thousand miles wide and two inches deep. You know what I mean? They got a they got just filled to capacity, but they don't know what even what they believe. And, and and I thank God for a place like this. And I want you guys to pray for me and Dave this week that God's hand will be on us. This ain't about us. It ain't about me. It never has been about me. It's all about Him. And you know what? You have all all the statistical, uh, you know, facts about Jesus. You want to, but unless you really know Him and spend time with Him, it ain't going to amount to hill of beans when you get to heaven. You need to know Him, Amen. So I want you to listen to what God has to say to us tonight. I I wanted to start this whole thing out off of, uh, doing an inventory. You know, when you go to a store and you, you maybe own one, or you go to a place of business, they'll off, off, you know often take an inventory of what's in in, in their stock. And I'm grateful that when we went to Staples today, they did an inventory and found out that we had something we wanted to buy today, amen, because I was wanting it real bad, and uh, and they had it, amen, because they did an inventory. They found out through their computer, looked the SKU number up, and there it was. They had two left, and me and Dave and Nate, we bought both of them, amen, we just bought the whole store out. But, um, and uh, I know some of y'all are going, man, this dude talks so funny, man, and uh, I know I do. I know I do. I even sound funny. I don't even like to listen to me. <laughs> I don't. I don't listen to me preach. I don't listen to me when, I do, when, I, when I'm on YouTube or whatever. I don't listen. I, I can't stand it. It makes me sick to my stomach. So anyway, y'all pray for me. But uh, <laughs> I want you to look at, this, look, look at what the book says. Look at what the book says. Uh, Proverbs chapter number 4, verse 23. This is going to be a verse that I'm going to use to, to, to springboard into my topic tonight. I want to talk to you tonight about how to guard... And the word keep means to protect. It means to guard. It means to, 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 to garrison, if you will, to put up a, a fortress around it. And, and the, listen, the wisest man on the face of the earth, Solomon told his son, he said, Son, I want you to keep your heart. I want you to guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it is every issue of your life. Do you understand the word diligence means above everything else that you could guard in your life? He said, I want you to guard your heart. And by the way, it says guard your heart. It's your heart. People say, well, they broke my heart. Well, they can't break your heart if you don't give them to them. If you give them your heart, it's going to get broken. 
You don't listen, you give your heart to Jesus, amen? And you've got to guard it. And by the way, there's a couple words in the Bible for heart, and this one here means your thought processes, the disposition of your mind. But I want to take a little farther tonight, and I want to talk to you about some diseases that you need to guard your heart against. Some things that you need to, problems in your life, if you're not careful, will absolutely corrupt you and crumble you, and you won't be able to be effective in the hand of God. I want you to listen to what the Scripture says. He said, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You say, preacher, what do you mean? What is the heart? Well, the, number one, the heart's a place where you remember. Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee is a place where we remember. It's a place where, we're, uh, where we think. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, As he thinks in his heart, so is he. And ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. You sow a thought, you reap an action. Come on now, help me out here. You sow an action, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. So see, folks, literally what you've got to realize is the fact that your heart is a place where not only you think from, but it's a place where you remember, but it's also a place where you're convicted. Y'all remember the story about King David. King David had an opportunity to slay Saul. He was in a cave, and Saul came in, and he privately said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill him right here. And listen, you know what? His heart was smote. His heart was convicted about killing the king. So ladies and gentlemen, your heart's a place where you're convicted. A lot of times people say, you know what, I wish that preacher wouldn't have preached on that sermon, on that message. I wish you wouldn't have preached on that verse of Scripture. You know, ladies and gentlemen, here's the problem. The problem is if I wouldn't preach on something, the Holy Spirit's big enough to do His job, and God may hear, let you hear a song going down the road or something your mom or daddy says, and you know what? The Holy Spirit of God can convict you in any area of your life that's not in line with Him. See, what we do sometimes is we want to relabel everything and we want to call something what it's not. And you know the fact of the matter is, is you've got to guard your heart. You've got to put up a defense around your heart. And you've got to say, God, keep my heart with ev listen, above everything else I could guard. Make this be the most important thing. Don't we do that with our physical hearts? I had a doctor come up to me not too long ago. It was in Mississippi. He looked at me and he said, Preacher, he said, I'm concerned about you. I said, what do you mean? He said, you, you can't keep doing it this way this long. Ain't no way. Now, as most of y'all know me, you know David. We get a little red in the face. We get a little bulging of, of veins and muscles in our neck and our, our foreheads. And we get a little crazy sometimes. And that's all right. I ain't going to get to heaven and God, Jesus going to look at me and say, you know what, you didn't do it passionate enough the first time. I'm going to send you back and redo it again. No, I'm going to get one. I got one chance to do this thing. And I'm going to have the time of my life, ladies and gentlemen. But you know what, we want to guard and we want to protect our physical hearts. I don't want to be one of them guys. And he said, you know what, you, I think maybe we need to do a little blood test. And he took a little sample of my blood. And you know what he said? He said, you've got some cholesterol issues. I went, what do you mean? He started listing off things. HTC, HTH, triglycerides, all this stuff. And I said, you know what, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, let me explain a little bit more simple. He said, I don't want you to be one of those people that looks healthy on the outside and falls over of a heart attack tomorrow. See, you know what? Here's the problem, folks. We can look good on the outside and take care of every area of our life physically. But I know people that fall over dead who's been running marathons for the last 10 years of a heart attack. I know a man who literally got rheumatic fever when he was a little, bit of ba little bitty baby. And when he was 42 years of age, a little bitty germ that did not kill him from rheumatic fever lodged itself in his heart and it resurfaced when he was 42 years of age and he fell over of a massive heart attack in a gymnasium. I'm telling you right now, he was, he was the picture of health. 
but he had a heart issue. Let me ask you a question tonight. Do you eat? Do you run? Do you exercise? Do you say, preacher, I hate that stuff. Well, you know what? Maybe, maybe God will get a hold of you tonight and want you to take care of your spiritual heart far more than you take care of your physical one. Some of y'all in here ain't got a problem with your physical heart, but you know what? Your spiritual heart is, listen, almost to the point to where it does not even beat no more. And what I'm asking you tonight is this. Are you going to guard your heart? David, listen, David said these words. He said, Lord, I want you to search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He didn't say, Lord, I want you to search me that I can know my heart. No, he said, Lord, I want you to search me because you already know it. And help me to know my heart, Rob. That's what he said, help me to know my own heart. You know what's amazing is some of us think, well, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I ain't killed nobody. Hadn't robbed a bank. You know what the fact of the matter is? We've deceived ourselves about what our condition really is. I know a lot of people that read their Bible every day. I know a lot of men that's preached the Word of God every single day of their life and fall into corrupt, heinous sins because their relationship is not right with Him. And all of it goes back to a heart issue. See, ladies and gentlemen, here's the problem. Most of you in here, you say, well, I'm an angry person and, or maybe I'm just a lazy person. And You know what that is? That's not a root problem, that's a fruit problem. There may be some people in this room tonight got fruit problems, but you know what your real problem is? It's a root problem. I believe the writer of Hebrews said it this way, looking diligently. Hey, there's that word again, diligent. Above everything else, he said, look diligently, lest, listen, lest any of you fail by the grace of God and don't let any root of bitterness, root of bitterness, let me say it again, root of bitterness springing up and trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You know what the problem is? We've got a lot of people that say, you know what, I don't want my kids to grow up and be bitter and angry. Well, won't you stop being bitter and angry? <laughs> God, ain't got quiet right there. Boy, I'm telling you. What I'm saying is this, folks. Listen to me. Guard your heart. Keep your heart with all diligence. What do we got to guard it against? Well, I'm glad you asked me. Look at Psalm chapter number 12, verse 1. I'm going to go through these quickly because I've got to get somewhere. I've only got 32 verses of Scripture to read tonight. Amen? So I just want to get, I just, I just want you to hurry up and listen fast, okay? Psalm chapter number 12, verse number 1. Psalm chapter number 12 and verse number 1. Look at what David says. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, everyone with his lips and with his neighbor, and with a double heart do they speak. You know the first area or first problem or first heart disease, if you will, you're going to have to guard against? It's called a double heart. You say, preacher, what do you mean? You're going to have to guard against a double heart. You say, preacher, how can a man have two hearts? Well, the Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways, James 1.8. Here's the problem. We have a double heart condition we have to guard against. Amen? You say, preacher, what do you mean? It means, you know what? Some of you, if you're not careful, will, whack, will, listen, will act one way when you're here on Sunday or Wednesday night, but you'll act another way at work on Tuesday or Thursday. That's a double heart. Double heart. I'll give you a perfect illustration. The first wedding I ever did. There's a young man named Neil. He's a young Marine. And Neil was marrying this young girl named Teresa. And I'm going to be quite honest with you folks. When I did this wedding... I'm going to be honest, Dave. 
when I do a wedding, I can even go to a wedding and not even know the people that's in it. And I get this lump in my throat, and I'm like, <laughs> just like a little sissy. Amen? And I'm back here blubbering and crying and snotting all over the place over people I don't even know. And here I'm getting ready to perform a wedding, and I had to say, Lord, you've got to help me here because I know I'm going to be a basket case if you don't help me. I'm standing up there, and I'm like, and I'm going to be honest with you, I was thinking about mean stuff that happened to me. Just so I wouldn't get upset, amen, so I'd be mad, amen. I said, don't defuse me, devil. I want to be mad right now, okay? I don't, you know, and I'm like, please, Lord, help me to think about mean stuff that happened to me. And so I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm going, I'm going to be good. Well, here comes the best man, you know, and the, and the groom, and they stand beside of me. And ever all the preliminaries go on, and all those groomsmen and the bridesmaids come up, and the maid of honor, and the doors open up, you know, bum, 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 bum. and I look back there, and man, let me tell you what happened. I look back there, and old Neil standing beside me went, <gasps> said, "Shut up, man! Shut, don't you do it, man! Don't you do it! Because if you go, I'm a goner." Here she come, man! That big old lump welled up my throat, and I'm. Help me, Lord, think about mean stuff. Think about mean stuff. My dog died, every, you know, and stuff like that. I'm like, here she come, here she come. She come up here to the front. Now, I'm doing okay. I hadn't lost it. And we get to that part where we start exchanging vows. And I look at Neil and I say, Neil, repeat after me. I, Neil, take thee, Teresa. He said, I, Neil, take thee, Teresa. To be my wedded wife. To be my wedded wife. To have and to hold. To have and hold. From this day forward, from this day forward. I said, for richer or for poorer? You know what he did? He went, for richer or for poorer? Here's what I did, Brother Dave, next. I went, in sickness and in health. I'm gone, man. I am a, I'm a basket case. But I want you all to think about this with me. There's a ver there, listen, there's a phrase at the end of the wedding vows that you make to the, to the man and the woman, and it says this, and forsaking all others, I give you my pledge. You know what you say when you're going to a wedding day? I'm forsaking every other person that I thought I loved like this, and I'm giving my whole heart to you. What if... What if Neil would have made this statement, I've said, forsaking all others, I give you my pledge. He went, wait a minute, preacher. I've got a couple girlfriends in the past. I want to keep their numbers just in case. Well, let me tell you what would happen. You laughing, sister. I know what you know what's going to happen. That man, it'd look like an MMA match. He'd be in a tap-out position saying, let me go surrender, because she would have in a pretzel hold. She would take those bouquet of flowers, and it'd become a, it would not be a wedding. It would become a funeral. Because you don't go to, listen, you don't go to the wedding day holding on to a couple girlfriends. You forsake everything. And do you know what the writer of the psalm says? Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And then he says, you know what you're going to have to guard your heart against? A double heart. Loving this one day. See, God, I believe our God, who is gracious and long-suffering, slow to anger and of great kindness, I believe he's headed up to here with double-mindedness. Oh, we love Him when everything's going great, and we forsake Him when everything's going bad. Or we call Him when everything's going bad, and we forsake Him when everything's great. You don't, don't tell me that's not double-mindedness. 
Well, we can be happy about what's going good one day and be miserable about what's going good the next day. That's double-mindedness. And the Scripture says, guard your heart against double heart disease. Number two, I've got to move quickly. Deuteronomy chapter number 1, verse 28. I'll give you the background of the story. The children of Israel have been delivered across the Red Sea, miraculously, if you will. By the way, the water parted from the east to the west, not from the west to the east where they were crossing. You know what that tells me? That the God of heaven was making sure that they knew the only way that water could be parted was Him and Him alone. Isn't that amazing? The water was parted from this side of that side, Antonio, not from that side of that side where they were standing. And God said, this is what I'm going to show. I'm going to show you what I could do. There's so many people in this room right now that you know what? You say, oh, I love Jesus. But you let a tragedy come. You let a trial come. What is it about God's people that just give up and not have any commitment when they go through the tough times? I'm going to tell you something, folks. I did a little study, and let me give you a hint. From Genesis to Revelation, the whole Bible's about suffering. Think it, 1 Peter 4.12. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which has come to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. You think God's up there going, well, you know, I just don't know why that happened. Do you ever think that oops and uh oh ever came across the lips of God when he did something in your life? You think God made a mistake? Let me tell you something, folks. Here's the problem. We struggle with a double heart, but this second area is a scary thing. The children of Israel miraculously were delivered over from bondage and on to the promised land. And ladies and gentlemen, when they got over and they were freed, here's what happened. They went and searched the land out and found that it was a land that flowed with milk and honey. You know what he said? I'm going to deliver you in that. And you know what the problem was? They looked at each other and said, we can't do this. There's giants in the land. We can't take that land. There's no way we can do it. They even brought the fruit of it. They said, this is what it is. And you know what it said? It said, we've rebelled against God. And these are the words of Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 28. Our brethren, not lost people, our brethren have discouraged our heart. God, I wish I could stand up here and tell you that every Christian that you come into contact with is going to be one of those people that's like a Barnabas and will encourage you and say, you know what, with us and God, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Amen. We need some people in the church that will be encouragers and not discouragers. But ladies and gentlemen, we know that most of our discouragement comes from that which is within, not that which is without. We get most of our discouragement from the brethren. Somebody makes a mistake. They fall. They get in sin. You know what the first thing that most Baptists do? Kick them down farther. Condemn them. I thought, the, I thought the whole thing about Christianity was to restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. Considering yourself, lest you be tempted. God, we got a problem. Because we struggle with this discouraged heart. Can I ask you a question tonight? What you discouraged about? Don't look at me like you don't have no discouragement. Man, I went through the valley. Peter, I know what it's going I know what it's like, man. Dave knows what it's like. Pastor knows what it's like. Because guess what? Don't think it's strange. As though some strange thing happened unto you. We're going to struggle with discouragement. What do you do when you go through a discouraging time? How do you defeat discouragement in your life? Well, I can tell you one way to do it is surround yourself with people that don't see the glass half empty, they see it half full. Amen? Go ahead and say amen right there. You need to surround yourself with people who don't see the dust on the table, but they see the rose in the vase. Amen? 
You need some people to say, God ain't failed my life. He's not left me. He's not forsaken me. Be like Paul and say, none of these things move me. I'm not going to quit when the times get tough. I'm not going to, listen, I'm not going to cower under the discouragement in my life. Ladies and gentlemen, the problem is we have to fight every day. Can you say amen right there? We have to fight every day a discouraged heart. A discouraged heart. I remember the first job in the church I had. Never forget it. Went to Tabernacle Baptist Church in Morgan in North Carolina. My first job was assistant Sunday school pencil sharpener. Amen. I'm talking I had a badge. Amen. Assistant Sunday school pencil sharpener. I'd take the pencils, Dave, and I'd put them in the pencil sharpener. Now, y'all know we got electric ones now. We don't do the old, you know, just the old wheel thing like that. You just stick it into the electric. You know what? And there it is. Voila. And I'm done. And this lady comes in. Sister Sourpuss is what I called her. Amen. Sister Sourpuss is what I called her. And she looked at me and she said, that's not how we sharpen pencils here. Well, how do you do it? I mean, do you stand on your head and gargle peanut butter and put, stick it in there? I mean, what do you do? I'm like, how else can you sharpen a pencil in an electric pencil sharpener but put it in there and just, and then take it out and voila. How do you do it? We just don't do it that way here. Well, you know what? That was a blessing to me. Amen. That was a real blessing to my life. You know what the problem is? We're going to struggle with discouragement. How do you get over that? Folks, listen, can I ask you a question? When's the last time, I'm, listen, when's the last time you just got down in your quiet time and you said, God, you know the thoughts of my heart. You know me. And God, I need you to speak to me. I need your encouragement. Because David said he had to encourage himself in the Lord. There's a lot of times that ain't nobody going to say nothing good. And everybody else is not going to think the will of God is as important to you as it is to you. I remember when I got called into ministry. I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I'm called to preach. And he said, Brian, the excitement will leave. You'll get over it. You know what? That was in 1993. And I'm glad I ain't got over it. I don't think I ever will get over it. That the God of heaven, the God that needed nobody, did you hear me say amen? The God that needed nobody to create everything we see is concerned about the affairs of my life. He knows me by name, sister. He knows me, brother, by name. And I'm telling you right now that the problem with us is we get discouragement because we get our eyes off the prize. Some of y'all in here, you know what you've gotten? You've, you've gotten your thoughts and your eyes and your heart pointed in the wrong direction. And how many of you ever played solitaire on your phone? Y'all play solitaire on your phone. Come on now. Don't, it, ain't, it ain't wicked. It ain't sin. Okay? You're not gambling. Well, you better not be gambling on it. But anyway, but it, listen, if, if you're playing solitaire and you've not got a good hand, what do you do, Rob? You reset it. Amen? I'm tired of this. I'm gonna, I want to win. Amen? And so you reset about 38 times. You know what the problem is? We need to reset with our heart. And ladies and gentlemen, the problem is so many of us, so many of us get discouraged and we get double-minded, and we don't know exactly, here's what's the problem in America, and, and probably in England too, and in Romania and everywhere. you got a people, you got a group of people that love God. you got a group of people that don't love God. But the ones I'm concerned about are the people that don't know whether they love God or not. That's the ones that concern me. Because Jesus said to a church, you're neither cold nor hot. 
In other words, you're double-minded. You've got vain thoughts. And you don't know really who you love. And because of that, you're kind of in the middle. And he said, because of that, it makes me sick. Let me ask you a question, folks. Are you struggling with a heart disease tonight? Because you know what? I can guarantee you may not ever... There may not anybody in this room know what you're struggling with, but God does. And you can try to fool everybody in the world, but you'll never fool God. He knows the thoughts and the intents of your heart. He said, God, you've searched me. David said, you've searched me and know me. You know my down-sitting, my uprising. You know my thought before I even know it and think it. And if I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I ascend into heaven, you're there. And my concern is, you know what? Why are you going to sit around? We've got a church, and I'm not talking about Bethel Free. I'm not talking about... Mount Home, I'm not talking about Bethel Baptist in, in Regalwood, but we've got a collective local church body and universal church, if you will, that are full of great liars. We're good at lying. You shouldn't have said that, preacher. Now you've gone to offending me. Well, I hope I make you mad enough to, to hate sin and love Jesus more. We're great at lying. How you doing tonight, sister? Oh, I'm great. Shut up. No, you ain't. You, you know you're lying. That's what people do, though. How you doing? Wonderful. Really. Well, then inform your face. It don't look like that. Amen? Just inf inform your face because what you said didn't match what your face is showing me. I don't care if I say anything else. I want some people in here to get real tonight. I want some people to get real this week. I'm going to tell you what I had to do, Dave. About two years ago, I had to stop faking it and shaking hands with everybody that I preached to when they asked me, Brother, you look great. Are you doing well? Oh, yeah, we're doing great. I heard the Lord Jesus Christ. It was louder than audible. I said, shut up, Brian. Quit lying. Why don't you go ahead and just admit what I already know? Let me say that again. Because sometimes you've got to remind yourself when you're preaching, boy, that was good. Brian, shut up. And admit what I already know. Because some of you in here, you know what? You've got a heart disease. I don't want you to be one of those people that's walking up, looking good, you know, got your clothes on the right way, got the right hair. Everything's right, and you fall over dead of a heart attack, spiritually. Because we know casualties, don't we, Dave? We know people that are out of the ministry today and not serving God and not in churches that we go and preach to that we saw a year ago, and now they're nowhere to be found. What happened? They struggle with a heart disease. Number one, a dead heart. No, excuse me. Number one, a double heart. Number two, a discouraged heart. But number three, once you look at Psalm 95, I've got to move quickly. Like I've got 36 more verses. Amen? Y'all look concerned. Man, I'm, I'm just playing, kind of. But anyway, uh, look, at, look at chapter 95 and look at verse number 7. Or look at verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God. We are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand today. Let me say it again. Today. See, because here's the problem. We worried far too much about what's going to happen a month from now. And the God of heaven, Carl, said today, if you will hear his voice. Y'all read it with me. Read the next part of that verse. Verse 10, I believe it is. Harden not your what? Harden not your heart. Now that word harden means to be deadened, to be numbed, to be calloused, if you will. And the problem is, folks, is we got people who have got a callus over their heart. You don't believe that? You get a preacher up here and say, take your Bible and turn to John chapter 3. Here's the first thing we think. Oh, here we go again. Oh, you must be born again. It's another message on salvation. 
Oh, we hear a preacher go, Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter Oh, man. God beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God. And we just let it all go right over our head. And you know what happens if you're not careful? Is you'll sit in service after service. You with me? Say amen. You'll sit in service after service after service. And the voice of God's trying to speak to that area of your life, and you just let it go right over your head, and guess what happens? As it goes over your head, another callus grows over your heart. And we sing 385 verses of Just As I Am, and it wouldn't affect you one bit. You're welcome. You don't know why? Because you got a deadened heart. It's got a callus over it. You know what has to happen? God has to take the hammer of his word and the chisel of his word and pop it underneath that callus and rip it off and let the wind of heaven blow on it again. Because guess what? Folks, I promise you right now, the God that did it back then can do it again. And I'm tired of hearing about what God did back in 1980, what God did back in 1994. Let me tell you something, folks. I don't live back there. I learn from the past, but I don't live in the past. And the fact of the matter is, the same God, the same God that brought revival to Israel, nation of Israel, seven times can do it today. Amen? Don't lose hope. Don't be discouraged. Don't get a deadened heart. You say, preacher, here's the problem. Most of you guys that preach tell us what the problems are, but you never give us any prevention. Well, I'm going to give you some tonight. Turn to Psalm 119. I want to show you something very quick, and I'm going to be done. And I know if you believe that, i got some rental property, oceanfront property in Arizona to sell you. Amen? Now, here's why I read everything I've read, Nathan, is to get to this point. Look at Psalm 119. You say, my soul, preacher, it's got 165 some odd verse in it. Hey, yeah, it does. It's probably the longest chapter in the Bible, I believe. And know what? I'm not talking about it grammatical, contextual, the way it's set up. But I want you to look at a couple verses with me. Psalm 119, verse 112 through 114. I'm going to give you a few things as preventative maintenance against your heart disease. You say, preacher, what are they? I want you to look at what it says. David said, I have inclined my heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. You know what's amazing to me? David said, I, I, I want some changes in my life that's going to stick. I didn't buy a gym membership for a year to forsake it in February so I could eat chocolate on Valentine's Day. Amen? I'm not asking God to do some things in my life and then me forsake them. He wants commitment. Say the word, commitment. Say it. Commitment. God wants commitment, not rededication, not turning over a new leaf. God wants commitments. You say, preacher, what is a commitment? Well, do y'all know what a chicken and a hog are? There's a big difference between a chicken and a pig. A chicken makes a contribution to breakfast. A chicken lays an egg and you crack it open and you get a hard boil, you know, you do whatever how you want it as a contribution to breakfast, but a pig or a hog makes a total commitment. Amen. It dies and is slaughtered in the house so it can be bacon. Amen. I think everything's better with bacon on it. Amen. I like bacon wrapped in bacon. Amen. That's what I like. But here's the problem, folks. The problem is, is we, we don't have any commitments. He said, I have inclined my heart to do, to perform your statutes always, even unto the end. What's your commitment level like? I didn't ask you what your attendance level was like. I asked you what your commitment level was. Because you can sit here, you can be in church every single half and have a little star on perfect attendance record. And your heart be as corrupt and as wicked and as lost and as calloused as anybody's ever has been. 
See, folks, here's what the problem is. We know the issues of heart disease, but let me ask you, do you know how to prevent it from happening? David says these words, Daniel. Look at what he says. I have inclined my heart. Let me ask you a question. Inclined means that it was in a position of uprightness. Now, it's not always been that way. David said, my heart wasn't born in an inclined position. So obviously, because of that position, it had been declined in the past. See, he said, God, I have inclined. I want you to set my heart. I want you to put it in an inclined position because it was in a declined position. And the problem most of us as Baptists is we're in a reclined position. Amen? We got a lazy boy and we're just taking a vacation from everything. And the fact of the matter is, folks, God didn't ask you to sit down. He asked you to stand up. He asked you to run the race with patience. And He asked you to walk in the Spirit. Amen? So the problem is, is we got a heart condition. We got a double heart. We got a discouraged heart. We got a dead heart. Well, how do you prevent that from happening? Well, number one, folks, I'm not saying it's because of the behavior that you perform. See, here's the problem. You can change your behavior. But if you don't believe that God can do exceeding abundantly above anything you could ever, ever ask or think, that behavior's not going to stick because you don't believe it. Can I get an amen? Your belief system, your belief has to change your behavior, not the other way around because if the behavior changes the belief, the behavior ain't going to stick. Amen? So what's David saying? Lord, I want you to set my heart. I want you to incline my heart. Well, how do you do that? Well, I'm glad you asked me. Look at verse 113. He said, I have inclined my heart, Lord, to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. And then he makes this statement, Dave. He said, I hate. I didn't think we were supposed to hate. We're Christians. We're supposed to love everything, right? What's this, what's this word in the Bible for? I hate. Well, what does he say hate? He doesn't say hate people. Look at what he says. I hate vain thoughts. He said, I hate. And by the way, folks, do you know this? If you paraphrase it, and you look at what the words mean in Hebrew, it literally means I hate double-mindedness. Hello? I hate vain thoughts. I hate imaginations. What did Paul say to the church in Corinth? Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought, every thought, every thought to the obedience of Christ. He said, I hate. Can I ask you a question? And I know... We think that's a very harsh word for a preacher to use. I hate vain thoughts. But look at what he says he loves. He said, but thy law have I loved. Would y'all agree with me that we can have some healthy love-hate relationships? Some unhealthy love-hate relationships. I got a, listen, I'm going to tell you, I got a love-hate relationship with chocolate. You say, preacher, what do you mean? See, Dave, it ain't the fact that I don't, love the way it tastes I just hate what it does to me see I love what it does for me but I hate what it does to me say preacher what's it do to you folks can I tell you something it's unhealthy I can be walking through the kitchen at night and there is a little jar David of bite sized snicker bars y'all know what I'm talking about them little miniature ones they make you mad if they ain't but one laying there it'll make you angry you say that ain't enough that can't be enough you gotta have about 22 of them amen and a gallon of milk. But you know what? I can be walking through the kitchen at 2 a.m. in the morning going to the restroom and I can hear them calling my name. Yoo-hoo, Brian, we're over here. 
And I'm like, okay, I'm coming. See, I love, I love what it does for me. Man, I'm going to tell you, when everybody else is forsaking me, hey, in the midnight hours, let me tell you something, chocolate's, chocolate's never forsaken me. It's always been there. Amen? When I feel all alone, chocolate's been there. But here's the problem. I hate what it does to me. Because when I eat too much, my wife can tell you from experience that I struggle with migraines for 48 hours after I eat it. See, here's what it is, folks. If you're ever going to prevent heart disease, are you listening to me? I'm almost done. Don't lose me now. This is it right here. If you're going to guard against heart disease, the first thing you need to understand and know is number one, what you hate. Can I tell you right now? And I'm going to talk to you for a minute. You know what I found out in my life? Hate is the greatest motivator for change. Hate's the greatest motivator for change. See, some of you in here, before you can ever have a change of behavior in your heart, you first must believe that what God said is true. He hates double-mindedness. He hates, he said, David said, I hate, I hate, I hate. You know what I hate? It's almost like when David, King David, his son Absalom died. Joab came to him and said, you know what, your son's died. And he got on the ground and he started weeping and he started lamenting over his son's death. But Joab was angry because he knew that Absalom wanted to take the throne. And you know what? He said, David, what's, what's going on with you? You're crazy. You love those that hate you, but you hate those that love you. Isn't it amazing? We love sometimes what destroys us, but we hate what tries to deliver us. Amen? Can I tell you something? They say confession is good for the soul. Sometimes I love being angry. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? Because you know what? Sometimes if you get angry enough, you can get results, can't you? You get mad enough at your kid. Bless God, I'm going to tell you right now, you better go clean, clean your room. And you know what? You can get some results, but you know what the problem is? You'll be all alone the rest of your life if you're angry. See, I hate being alone more than I hate anger. See, there's some things in your life that you need to understand. You need to hate. Listen, you might love what it does for you, but you need to hate what it does to you. Amen? Some of y'all say, I hate being late. Well, notice I didn't say you love being early. See, because if you, if you hated being late, you wouldn't love hitting the snooze button 22 times. Amen? Come on Hey, man, I'm telling you, that's good right there, son. See, some of y'all think I went to meddling. Mm, got quiet. Maybe I need to give the invitation right now. Hey, man. If you're going to get over your heart condition, are you listening to me? There's a, there's a couple things that you need to understand. Number one, you need to know what to hate. Can I tell you something? I hate poverty. I hate bullies. Amen? I hate, I hate, when it's in my life, I hate self-pity. And I'll tell you something about that. You can sit in a corner. You know, I hate complaining, but sometimes I, you say, Preacher, the Bible says you ought not do it. Well, it never said you ain't going to like it when you're doing it. It just said don't do it. Amen? But there's sometimes when somebody says, How you doing? Well, let me tell you what I'm doing. For the next 10 minutes, you, load, you unload everything on them that you got every ache, pain, every just some job interview that you lost a position in. You complain about everything, but guess what? You keep doing that, and when they see you coming the next time, they run in the other way. 
How are you going to prevent from getting a heart disease? Number one, you better know what to hate. Look at verse number 114, and I'm done. David says, number one, if you're going to prevent this heart disease that you have, number one, if you're going to prevent it and have victory instead of being a victim, number one, you've got to know what to hate, but number two, you've got to know where to hide. Look at verse 114. He says, thou art my hiding place and my what? Shield. Here's the reality, folks. We think that conflict, the absence of conflict, is going to bring us closer to God, but the contrary. The involvement of conflict, when you have a problem in your life that's wrapped in difficulty, that's garnered and is garmented in tragedy or suffering, you know what brings to that situation? The very thing itself brings the presence of God to you. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you, that some of you in this room, you've got hiding places, but it ain't helping you because you know what it's done? It's closed you into a prison instead of set you free. I asked one of my staff members when I was a pastor at Livingston Baptist Church, I said, what are you hiding behind? You know what she said? She said, I'm going to be honest with you, preacher. You ask, I'm going to tell you. I said, finally, finally. I've been worried about you for a year. What's going on in your life? She looked at me and she said, I hide behind blame. Well, if the kids wouldn't have done this. Well, if the car wouldn't have broke down. Well, if I'd have been raised in this kind of family. You know what she hidden? She know what she hid herself in? In blame. Some of y'all gonna hide. You're gonna have a hiding place. By the way, there was a man named Elijah who ran from a the, the, listen, the threat from one woman named Jezebel and hid in a cave, and he thought that was a place of protection, but God said, This is your comfortable comfortable zone. I don't want you to be in this this cave where it's comfortable. I want you to be out there where the conflict is. Because that's what I called you to do. To be my man, to my people, and to those that don't know me. And the problem is, as many of us. We hide behind blame. We hide behind low expectations. You know how some of you in this room have low expectations of yourselves? You say, preacher, you're just meddling now. You've just gotten way too into it. No, trying to preach where you live. Some of y'all have low expectations. You hide in that. You hide behind it. You don't know why? It's because if you have a low expectation, that means you won't get hurt because you won't expect much out of yourself. You've got to know where to hide. Do you know where to hide? Or do you hide behind your problems? Because I'm going to tell you right now, when the bullets and the missiles start flying, and by the way, folks, you better make sure you find your hiding place before the conflict. Because I'm going to tell you right now, when you get in the midst of it, you ain't made a place where you know to hide, it's going to be scary. But David said, Thou art my hiding place. And he said, I know where to run when the bullets start flying. I know where to hide when the missiles start going over my head. He said, because you know what? I've never ceased to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. He said, never the land of the dead. He said, the land of the living. Let me ask you a question. Do you know where to hide? Do you know who your shield is? Because I'm going to tell you right now, the Bible says in Psalm 86, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous runneth in and are what? Safe. If you're going to get over this heart condition, you got number one, you better know what to hate. Listen to me. You better know what to hate. You better, number two, know where to hide. But number three, look at the last part of that verse. Look at it with me, and I'm done. I done lied three times. Better not lie again. Look at what he says. Peter, he said, I hope in your word. 
Now, I'm not an English professor. Y'all know that. I'm just a country boy from North Carolina, but I'm going to tell you what I did learn about the English language. If it said I have hope, it would make it a subject, a direct object, if you will. Hope would be a direct object. That means it would be a noun, a subject. But it didn't say I have hope. It said I, what? Hope in your word. Now, I want you to listen to me. I'm done. It makes it a verb. And you know what? You don't have hope. You do hope. It's not what, hope's not what you have, it's what you do. Do you know what hope does, Peter? Hope puts a hand to what it knows to be right. By the way, the Bible says that faith is the substance of things, what? Hope for the evidence of things not seen. Now, I'm going to tell you, that really defines most of our paychecks. Amen. It's the, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But the fact of the matter is, folks, we, you know what? I don't hope it ain't cold tomorrow. You know what I do? I put on a coat. That's hope. Hope ain't so. Well, preacher, this is my philosophy on hope. I heard a lady say this one time. I'm not picking on ladies, but a lady said this. She said, I hope for the best and expect the worst. <laughs> really? Really? That's clever. But it's a bunch of bunk. Because that's not what the Bible teaches about hope. David said it is a doing thing, not a being thing. Listen, I hope, by the way, I don't hope it don't get hard tomorrow, Dave. You know what I do? I charge the hill anyway. I put on my armor. I put on the whole armor of God. By the way, every piece is for the front, not the back. You don't run from it. And by the way, some of you, you know what you're doing? You're trying to hide and run into enemy, enemy protected and allied territory. Some of y'all are hiding and trying to run to a hiding place that's already been possessed by the enemy itself. When I was a kid, I was with my grandmother. And my, 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 my cousin would come and stay with us, Pastor Larry, at my, my grandmother's house, and we'd play hide-and-go-seek. You know what? One day, I thought what was going to be the best hiding place in the world became my prison for about 15 minutes because I got locked in the cellar. And see, but where I ran to hide is what really kept me in prison. See, some of you in this room tonight, the reason that you're having some heart diseases in your life is because you don't know what to hate. You don't know where to hide. Number three, you don't know how to hope. Number one, you've got to know what to hate. Number two, you've got to know where to hide. But number three, you've got to know how to hope. 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 What is hope? Hope is putting hands to what you know to be right. Here's an amazing thing. He said... And by the way, you've got to know these things. K-N-O-W. You know what Paul said on the road to Damascus? When he got that vision from the Lord, he saw the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he said? First words he said, Lord, what would you have me to do? Then you know what he did? He went through his Christian life and he wrote half the New Testament and he got in a prison and from the church, listen, from prison he wrote to the church in Philippi and said these words, that I may know Him. But look at what he wrote at the end of his life, Dave. In 2 Timothy chapter number 4, verse 8, he said, and excuse me, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 12, at the end of his life, he said, I want to know him. But guess what he said at the end of his life? He said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Let me ask you a question. Do you know how to hope? I didn't ask if you have hope. Because that's not what it says. Do you hope in the Lord? I don't.
don't hope it's not cold tomorrow. I put on a coat and go outside anyway. Amen. That's hope. Ladies and gentlemen, the problem is that sometimes we have heart conditions because we don't know how, what to hate, we don't know where to hide, and we don't know how to hope. The songwriter said, my hope is built on nothing less. My hope is built on nothing less than His blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Let me ask you a question tonight before we go to the Lord in prayer. I want you to look right in the white's eyes. What are you lying about? I haven't preached on any specific particular thing in sin. But there's some things that's keeping some of you in double heart disease. In discouraged heart disease. And some of you are in deadened heart disease. You're almost at the verge to where you've calloused your heart over and over and over. You want to know why? It's because you're not sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. How do you get, how do you get rid of it? How do you knock the callous off your heart? Well, number one, you've got to know what to hate. Number two, you've got to know where to hide. And number three, you've got to know how to hope. What about you tonight? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody looking around tonight. I'm going to do the invitation this way. Of course, we always sing it, but with nobody looking around, I want you to, I want you to answer this question, Judgment Day Honest, before God. And you'd say, Preacher, you know what? Boy, I look good when I come to church. I've got all my T's crossed, my I's dotted. But you know what the problem is, folks? Is most of you got your T's crossed and your I's dotted, but you're still spelling the words wrong. It's because you, you're lying to yourself and you're lying to God. And you know what? You've got a double heart. Some of you got a discouraged heart. And some of you got a dead heart. And the only way you're going to get over that is if you know what to hate. I hate vain thoughts, David said. I love thy law, though. Some of you need to know where to hide. And by the way, you don't do that when you're in the conflict. You do it before you come into it. You make a decision in your life. I'm going to know where to hide. And number three, I want to know how to hope. And you'd say, preacher, I want you to pray for me. I feel like there's a part of my heart that I've given over to enemy territory. And I don't want to struggle with this heart disease. I want to be delivered from it. And I want you to pray for me tonight. Anybody like that would just slip your hand up and then put it back down and say, preacher, pray for me. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you, friend. God bless you. Once you put it up, you can put it down. God bless you, buddy. Appreciate it. As Brother Larry comes, as Pastor Larry comes and leads... In the invitation hymn, search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Can I ask you this? How long are we going to keep lying about things and expect God to give different results? God's not going to forgive, listen to me now, God ain't going to forgive your excuse. God's not going to forgive your excuses, Mom. God's not going to forgive your excuses, Dad. Teenager, God's not going to forgive your excuses. He's only going to forgive what you're honest about. And tonight, I want to ask you a question. Would you be willing to, to be delivered from heart disease? If you're going to, you've got to know what to hate, you've got to know where to hide, and you've got to know how to hope. Father, I've done my best to rightly divide your word. I pray that you'd have your hand upon this invitation time, and God, help us not to be good liars. Help us to not be Pharisees and hypocrites and and sit and, and, and scowl and cower at somebody else when we've got some issues that we need to take care of. Help us to be honest before you tonight so we can have victory over these heart conditions that we've talked about tonight. And we'll love you and praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name.